Mindfulness Mode 449. By automating certain things, like I always drive to work in the same way, then you free your mind to think more richly about things that maybe you value more. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to Mindfulness Mode. And I'm so excited. Today is my birthday. Thanks for tuning in. It's great to have you with us. And I've got a very special uh, guest for my birthday today. And before I tell you about that, one of the projects that I did that I thought was so much fun was when I put together a little ebook called 21 Ways to Practice Mindfulness with Your Child Every Day. And I practiced mindfulness with my child when he was little, and that was really a lot of fun. And it could be fun for you too. So I've written this book. It's for you for free to download. And all you need to do is spend seven minutes a day with your child doing mindfulness. And of course, you'll want to spend more time with that. But these these are little exercises and little activities that you can do with your child, which will just be purely fun every day. Download it at mindfulnessmode.com slash 21 ways. So, two, one ways. Now, today, I have this incredibly special guest. I am so excited to tell you she's funny, she's wise, she's successful, she's mindful, she's all about happiness, but all about those other things I mentioned as well. So, I was so excited when I found out I could have her on the show. She's got a brand new book, and the book is called Outer Order, Inner Calm. And when you think about it, isn't that so often the way it is? You know, you you get your yourself very organized in your office, in your, in your home, and you just have this sense of calmness, this sense of... Uh, accomplishment. It's a great feeling of content. And that's what her book is called. And I I thought it was so funny. I mean, she has so many funny things. She coins funny words. She says, one of the things she says, uh, you know, sometimes she just doesn't feel like putting clothes away. And so she just she just puts them on the floor of her bedroom. And then she says she calls that her floored robe instead of her wardrobe. I find that very funny. But there are so many funny things we discuss on the show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode with the wonderful Gretchen Rubin. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have something awesome happening today, and that's because it's my birthday. I've got a very special guest here for my birthday, and that is the wonderful Gretchen Rubin. Hey, Gretchen, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am, and I'm very happy to be talking to you on your birthday. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is exciting. I've been looking forward to having you on my show for quite some time, so this is a real treat. Now, Gretchen, I want to share a little bit about you with Mindful Tribe. Gretchen Rubin is a well-known, and I mean really well-known, mindfulness and happiness expert. She believes that when we know ourselves and what works for us, we can change our habits and change our lives for the positive. She's the author of several wonderful best-selling books, including her newest one, which I just finished reading a few days ago. It's called Outer Order, Inner Calm. And I so believe in this. The subtitle is Declutter and Organize to Make More Room for Happiness. 
And that's what Gretchen is all about, is happiness. Gretchen has an amazing ability to communicate complex thoughts and ideas with humor and clarity. And she also has a wonderful podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. So Gretchen, what does mindfulness mean to you and in your world? I think it's about an awareness of what you're doing and what you're thinking. And it would seem like it's very obvious to you what you're doing and what you're thinking, but it's very easy to be distracted or to be compelled by what you think you should do or think you should be feeling or seeing that you lose sight of what is actually your experience. And so for me, mindfulness is like really trying to stay aware of what's actually happening to me, both outside and inside. And we can get so distracted by what we think our world should look like. And that can start in our own homes or in our own offices. And we think it should look like a showroom and just be this amazing space. But sometimes it just doesn't happen. So where is that breakdown? Why do we have such a struggle with that? I think it's a bunch of things. I think for one thing, often people are trying to multitask. And so there's this feeling of like kind of bouncing from one thing to another. And what the research shows is that really people don't multitask. They're just task switching. And that's burdensome. It's draining and it's also kind of inefficient. But when you're doing a million things, it's very hard to stay focused. Like a particular time when this comes up with me is when I'm packing. And I've trained my family, don't talk to me when I'm packing because I've got this very intense train of thought. And I'm like, you know, like the swimsuit and then the the electrical converters and then the passports. And I'm like, if you interrupt me, I will never be able to get back to that place of concentration. And that's just, but we're doing that all day long. So that's part of it. Another is decision fatigue. It's very, even the tiniest decision drains us a little bit, which is why someone like, you know, President Obama or Steve Jobs wore basically the same clothes every day because it's like, it's just that much easier to get dressed. And when you're making a lot of decisions, that also kind of, you can feel your your attention being split or your you know your your kind of juggling thoughts. I wrote a book called Better Than Before that's all about habit formation and one of the reasons that habits can free us and energize us is that we don't have to spend time using our willpower or using our self-control. And some people point out very correctly that in a way it's not very mindful to have a habit. If I'm just like automatically going to brush my teeth, well then I might be done brushing my teeth before I even mindfully noticed that I was doing it. That is true. But on the other hand, by automating certain things, like I always drive to work in the same way, then you free your mind to think more richly about things that maybe you value more. And if you're not debating with yourself, should I exercise now or later, today or tomorrow? Oh, I exercised yesterday. Oh, no, I deserve a day off. Like all that stuff, all that noise just gets in your mind and keeps you from turning your attention to things that might be of higher value to you. Yeah, it really does. And one of the things I took away from your book was that it's not so much that we have to be these phenomenal organizers and keep everything sorted and organized in its place all the time, but more so that we need to eliminate what doesn't serve us. And that can be the biggest help for us, can't it? Yes, it's very important to notice that like not everybody wants to end up in the same place. First of all, I talk about outer order contributing to inner calm. And that's true of most people, but it's not true of everyone. On the Happier Podcast, which you mentioned, my co-host is my sister, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is one of these people who's truly clutter blind. She doesn't see it. It does not bother her. I mean, on balance, she would just assume that I come over and clean out her closet, which I beg her to allow me to do because I get so much fun out of it. <laughs> but it doesn't really matter to her. Some people, it just really doesn't matter. Right. And it's like, if it really doesn't matter to you and you don't share your space with somebody who cares, like, 
don't waste your time because it doesn't matter to you. But for most people, outer order does contribute to inner calm. On the other hand, some people are simplicity lovers and some people are abundance lovers. And I'm a simplicity lover. So I really do get tremendous gain from clear counters and a lot of room on the shelves and not that much on the wall and you know a lot of quiet and a lot of space you know for me it's like one vase with one rosebud but some people are abundance lovers and they love like choice and profusion and collections and a lot going on and maybe they want piles of stuff on their desk and they feel like that that creates unexpected juxtaposition and it stimulates their creativity helps them focus i think we make a mistake when we're like a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind and then like everybody has to do everything the same way we're not all the same. We don't all thrive in the same environments. And so the question, like back to your original point, is like, what is true for you? Mindfully notice, like you may not have even noticed, do I like having these piles around or really do these piles kind of drain and discourage me? Well, maybe they're great or maybe I'd really do better if I got rid of them. That's for me to think about and to reflect on. And then if I think that there's a way that I can set up my environment to make me happier or healthier or more productive or more creative, how do I create that environment? It's not so much that there's like one magic solution that fits everyone. Um, we all have to figure these things out for ourselves and that requires self-reflection and self-knowledge. Gretchen, one of the things that I love about you so much is not only that you're so good at sharing the message with people and communicating, but you're just so funny. Oh, <laughs> you, you have these wonderful words you've coined, which I think are hilarious. Like you said, you know, sometimes you just like to throw clothes on the floor of your bedroom and that's your floored robe. Oh, yeah, I, I got thought, a floored robe. Oh, yeah. I love that yeah. floored robe. That is so <laughs> funny. I mean, you're so hilarious with some of the things you come up with. And I love procrasticlear. Uh, tell us about procrastinate. See, I can hardly say it. Procrastinate. Yeah. Tell us about um, that. So, That's interesting. So procrastinating is when procrastination takes the form of clutter clearing. And so, you know, sometimes procrastination is you're watching Netflix. Sometimes procrastination is you're taking a nap. Sometimes procrastination is like, I'm here in my office and I've got these shelves and I, I haven't really thought about the shelves in a long time and they never really bothered me. But now that I have this report that's due in two days that I don't want to work on, I feel like nothing in my life is more urgent than I take everything off the shelves, wash them down, dust off the books, go through them, alphabetize them. Like I just feel like I can't settle down to work until something gets totally clear. Now, it's absolutely true that sometimes creating outer order is helpful preparation, that it can help you focus, you know, you eliminate distractions and you kind of give yourself a transition to get yourself into that zone of concentration. Absolutely true. But saying like, I'm going to put all the files away so that I clear up my desk is quite different from saying, I now need to vacuum every, every, every carpet in my apartment, you know, because it's like, I don't really think that that's so necessary. Because working is one of the most dangerous forms of procrastination. Um, we want to be very aware, am I doing helpful preparation or am I really allowing myself to get to like drift into procrastinating? Because that can go on for a long time. Most of us have enough clutter that we can keep that thing going for a while. Yeah, we sure can. It must have been so much fun growing up with Elizabeth. And, you know, you make it sound like fun on your show because she's so different and you're this person who is so organized. But what was it like? What was a day in your life like when you were seven years old and living at home with Elizabeth? Well, Elizabeth is much younger than I am. She's five years younger. So now we're incredibly close. And when you're an adult, those kinds of differences don't matter very much. But when we were younger, you know, the difference between a two-year-old and a seven-year-old is big. 
the difference between a 12-year-old and a 17-year-old is big. So, and Elizabeth would, would pretty much keep the disaster to her own room, which was bad. That was just like incredibly messy. But she was pretty considerate of like family spaces, which was good. And so, it, you know, it, it didn't really bother me. The way that it comes up with this the most is that I do beg, Elizabeth calls me a happiness bully because I can get kind of insistent if I think there's a way for you to get happier. And when I come over to her house in Los Angeles, I just beg her. I'm like, let's do your guest room closet or let's do your office or let's do your clothes closet. And it's just like so much low hanging fruit. Like we cleaned out a closet of hers and like literally two thirds of the stuff in there were like empty shopping bags. Like she would go to a store and like buy a shirt from the gap or something. And then she would just throw, just throw the bag in the closet. I'm like, I don't know. How can you live like this? But then it's like, we just put those in the recycling. It took like 10 minutes and the whole closet was clear. I felt like, you know, the biggest genius of all time. So she's really fun. Her stuff is kind of easy and fun to clear. I really do enjoy that. And she's very patient about uh, allowing me to have my fun. I think I enjoy it more than she does, probably, for sure. <laughs> Gretchen, I'd like to talk to you about your life before all of this organizing and this podcast and the writing. What were you doing? I know you've shared it sometimes on your podcast, but tell our listeners. So I started out my career in law, and um, I was actually clerking for Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when I realized that I actually wanted to be a writer. At that time, I was staring up at the Capitol Dome against the blue sky, and I thought, just kind of asking myself a theoretical question, you, ever, you know, when you pose these rhetorical questions to yourself, I was like, what am I interested in that everybody else in the world is interested in? And I thought, well, power, money, fame, sex. And it was like power, money, fame, sex. And I started run. I just ran out and started researching. And this is something that happens to me frequently. This is something that's very familiar to me about my own personality it happens to me. Like, right. I just went through this huge obsession with color just became completely preoccupied with the subject of color. So that's something that happens to me, but this was big. Like this really kept going. I was spending hours and hours researching what seemed to me to be these very linked subjects and thinking about how they were related to each other and how to think about it and taking all these notes. That's a big part of my process is I take copious notes. And then at a certain point, I thought, you know, this is what a person would do if they were going to write a book. And then I thought, well, you know what? I could write a book maybe. So I went to the bookstore and got a book called How to Write and Sell Your Nonfiction Book Proposal. And I pretty much just followed the instructions. Eventually, I just, you know, switched. I decided I would rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. And I, I was like, this is my time to try. I've got an idea that I really do want to write. Why don't I see if I can, you know, make the switch? And I did. And that was my first book. A lot of times people think that The Happiness Project was my first book because it, it was like a number one bestseller. And so everybody was sort of aware of it, you know, in a small world. But that was actually my fourth book or maybe my fifth book. So I was a good example of somebody who worked very hard for 10 years to become an overnight sensation. Was there ever a time when you were truly unhappy? I mean, sure, here and there, there's times when I've been unhappy, but I'm not, I, I have not had periods of like deep despair, no. Well, that's that's wonderful because so many people do and they benefit from the work you do and the teaching you do. How mindful do you have to be to write a best-selling book? That's a very good question. I guess it depends on what kind of book it is. Probably for some books, you don't have to be very mindful. If you're a really, really good storyteller, I don't know. If you're very focused on your story, I don't know that you have to be very mindful. That's a good question. Like, it also probably depends on your work style. Some people are almost compulsively writers. I mean, that's certainly the situation that I'm in. You kind of can't hold them back. And then there's some people where they really have to drag themselves kicking and screaming to the computer. And so they might have to like approach it from a different 
mindset? So that's an interesting question. I would have to ponder that. Take a poll among my fellow writer pals. <laughs> Your podcast is so much fun because you've got the different aspects. You interview people sometimes, but you're on with your sister. And then sometimes you're solo and you just go on by yourself talking about things. Which was the most difficult thing for you to conquer on your podcast? You know, actually, the podcast came very easily to us because, first of all, I'd like I've been writing about happiness and good habits in human nature for so long. Like I just have like so much, and it's it's everything. This my my subject is human nature, so it's everything from exercise to relationships to color to you know anything. Uh, so many things come into it. And of course, working with my sister, the minute Panoply, who was where I started the show, they approached me and they said, well, what, what about having a co-host? And I was like, oh my gosh, my sister and I for years have been saying we should have a radio show. This is even better. So, and then I probably get along with my sister with less conflict than anybody else in my entire life. So that was a very easy thing. What we did is we like, we break it up into segments. So like, there's a try this at home, which is like a very concrete, manageable resolution that people can try. And there's a happiness hack. And that's kind of like a quick, easy fix, like maybe an app or like something like some doodad that you would buy. And then there's know yourself better questions, because as you know, understanding ourselves better is a central challenge for happiness. How do you understand yourself better? There's interesting questions you can pose, happiness stumbling blocks, listener questions. And then each week we give ourselves either a demerit or a gold star about things that we've seen or done in our own lives. And so having the segments also made it easier. And Elizabeth herself, she's a TV writer. She's a showrunner and TV writer in Los Angeles. So she's a very writerly person. And we know each other so well, we don't let each other get away with anything. So I think really one of the joys of the Happier Podcast is that it did come so naturally to both of us. And it, it has been, it's like been something that we've always sort of dreamed of doing. And, you know, we've done live shows. So then we went on these like sisterly adventures together. We went to, you know, podcast conferences. She made us matching t-shirts. You know, it's been really, it's been a delight. Um, It's been a huge engine of happiness. And it, it's a good example of sometimes when we're thinking about like, oh, you know, my life and you think I have to lighten my load. I've got too much going on. I have to take things out. Well, sometimes putting something new in is actually more energizing because it's like, this is fun or I'm looking forward to this or I see what I'm capable of, even if this is challenging or scary, like, oh my God, like I get this rush. Like I did public speaking for the first time. I feel amazing. Or I ran a 5K. I never thought I could do that. You know, you push yourself and then you get this, it can become this huge um, source of energy. Sometimes when we're feeling very depleted, it can be hard to contemplate doing something like that. But even though it can really, really help us. Right. I totally enjoyed seeing you both on the stage at Podcast Movement in Chicago. That was so yeah. much fun. And you could just see the energy between the two of you and how comfortable you were and how you just communicated with the audience in such a beautiful way. Now, I know as people are successful as you've been, one of the challenges of success is dealing with people who want to make life difficult for you or, you know, the haters, the people that put negative things out there. What's one of the most difficult challenges you had with that kind of situation? Well, one thing that I did fairly early on is I decided that I wasn't going to read any review or profile of my work because I have people close to me whose uh, judgment I very much respect and basically whose job it is to be critics. And I have to very, it's not easy, I will admit, but I have to open my heart and, and, and take in that information and be guided by their judgment and to try to make my work better. And so I'm very open to that kind of criticism. But what I realized is that I'm very sensitive. And these kind of drive-by critics were like getting in my head and they were making me feel very defensive and kind of and closed and then like not wanting to be vulnerable, not wanting to, to like show my true self. 
or, you know, or second guessing decisions that I made. For instance, somebody said, oh, you know, with an audio book, you should have a professional actor read it. Like, why would you read it yourself? You don't know what you're doing. And I thought, well, that's true. I am. I'm not a professional actor. There are people who'd be far better at doing this. So yeah, for my readers, I'm, I won't read the audiobook, even though I like doing it because I want the readers to have a better experience. Okay, well, what did I find out? All the people who weren't emailing me who were like, oh, if it's a first-person memoir, I absolutely want to hear the author write, read it. And, I, and they thought I was being kind of lazy because I wasn't, and that's what they wanted. And so sometimes like, one person criticizes it, and, that, and then you respond to that instead of like the 10 people who would have a different view. And I also felt like this is not helping. Like, it's not useful to me. It's not making my work better. If anything, it's making my work worse. And so I'm just not going, I'm not going to read Amazon reviews. I'm not going to read newspaper reviews. I'm not going to read profiles of me. And people close to me will read them. And if there's something I need to know about, they will tell me, but usually they just don't tell me. And they don't tell me good and they don't tell me bad. Because if they don't, if they don't tell me just bad, then I know it's bad. If they don't tell me good and they don't tell me bad, I'm like, could be good, could be bad. Like, I just don't pay attention. And that way you could just move forward, right? I just move forward because that is exactly the way to think about it because I don't want, like, this book is out. I can't change that book. Like, maybe you didn't like the blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? That horse has left the barn or that cow left the barn or whatever (laughs) farm animal has left the barn. It's gone. I can't fix that now. Now, you know, maybe you have something that I could, like, think about and use for a next book, but the chances that it's something really useful are, are very small, and the chances that it's something that would get me all riled up to sort of no good purpose or maybe even make me less of a less risk-taking or, you know, kind of less open are very high. Another thing that I remind myself, and this is just very, very comforting, is that a strong voice repels as well as attracts. Think of anyone whose work you love, and I guarantee you, you could go on Amazon and see them getting many one-star reviews, including like Shakespeare and Tolstoy and Virginia Woolf. Um, There are many TV shows that you love that people think are stupid. This is just a thing. A strong voice repels as well as attracts. And so some people are like, I don't like your stuff. And I'm like, that's totally cool. You know, and sometimes they'll explain to me why I don't like it. And then I'll try to say like, well, you know what, judge, because I do read so much. I'm like, judging from what you said, then one, maybe you would like Story of a Soul by St. Therese of Lisieux. That's an amazing memoir that sounds like your kind of thing. You don't have to like my stuff. There's a lot of stuff that a lot of people like that I don't like. I get it, you know, but I don't have to feel like I'm a failure if some people don't like it, because if I try to be appealing to everyone, it's probably going to be so washed out that no one's going to be interested in it. It'll just be generic. You know, it'll just be like, you know, like an online article about blah, 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 you know, and that's not interesting to anybody. You know, you want a point of view and sometimes people grade on you and I get it. That's the way it is. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. And I loved how you, you talked head on about Marie Kondo in your book. Yeah. You were very positive about Marie Kondo, but you just said, oh, well, she talks about sparking joy. That really isn't my thing. I'm more about being energized. Yeah. So tell us the difference between something that sparks joy and something that energizes you. Yeah. I love Marie Kondo. I binge watched the show. I read the book as soon as it came out. Um, I got a huge, like lots of ideas from Marie Kondo. Um, But Marie Kondo, like, I think there's a lot of ways that we can achieve our aims and people might do things very differently. Marie Kondo really believes there's one best way and that's the Marie way. And so the Marie way works really well for some people, but then for some people it doesn't work as well. And one of the things I found is like spark joy was too high a bar for me. So for instance, I have this book weight. This sparks joy for me. I love this thing. My husband gave this to me for my birthday. I use this every day. It's so well suited to its purpose. Not everybody needs a book weight, but this is something I really need. It really sparks joy. 
this pad of paper I got, it was swag at a conference. I just need a little notepad. Is this spark joy? No. Cause yeah, it's just like, whatever. Like, could I go out and buy a pad of paper that spark joy? Cause it had like a beautiful design on it. Probably. But I've already got one. Somebody gave me, I'm just going to use this one. It doesn't need to spark joy. It does its work well. It energizes me because it serves its function very nicely. And Hey, I already have it in my cabinet. Like I don't have to go out to this to a paper store and, and, and spend money and buy something. For me, that's energizing. It's energizing that things serve their purpose. And for me, sparking joy, it just, it made me think like there's too many things that this stapler, does it spark joy? No. Do I feel like I need to replace it with something that sparks joy? No, I don't. I can see that for some people that would be really, really satisfying and they would love to have everything in their house be at that level. I'm just not that kind of person. It's not that important to me. And I'm also kind of an underbuyer, meaning I don't like to buy things and I don't like to do errands. And so the idea, like a thing right now out after Outer Order Intercall came out is I asked on social media to people, do you think I should get matching hangers? Because I just have the hangers that like come with the clothes when you buy them or like that you just get wherever you get random hangers. And all these people were like, oh my gosh, you've got to get matching hangers. It's like, it's going to be amazing. Everything will look so much better. You're just going to feel so good. It's going to be so satisfying. Outer order, like you've got to do it. But I can't because I'm like, I'm not going to spend all this money to go out and buy hangers. And then like, what do I do with the hangers I already have? I asked the thrift store that's around the corner from my house, like, do you want these hangers? And they're like, yeah, no, we don't want those hangers. I'm like, what am I going to do with all these perfectly good hangers? And so for me, it's like, I think that I would have more joy if I had matching hangers. But my under by herself is like, eh, yeah, you don't need matching hangers. Like, just use the hangers you have, you know? Yeah, that so, totally makes sense. That totally makes yeah. sense. That, so that's for me. But for other people, they would absolutely say you should go the extra mile, spark the joy, and then you'll just get that much more pleasure out of your environment. For me, it wasn't as helpful a test as sure. something else. Gretchen, I've worked in bullying prevention for about 10 years, so I always ask a question about that, about whether you were bullied, whether you have a, a story about that where mindfulness would have made a difference. Do you have something you can share with us on that topic? You know, I know that is a subject of great interest to you, so I was really searching my mind, and I, you know, to my great good fortune, I don't think that I ever really was bullied. I had people who kind of got up in my face yeah. and you know were, were combative, but not in a way that I felt bullied or, or outnumbered or, uh, you know, I felt like people were sort of um, picking on me or, 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 you know, engaging with me in a, in a, in a way of conflict, like in seventh and eighth grade. Um, but not really in a bullying way. So I'm very fortunate. I never had that experience. That is wonderful. It really is. As we move forward in the interview, Gretchen, I'd like to ask you five quick answer questions and just 30 second answers are perfect, if that's okay. Right. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced mindfulness for you in your life? Oh, St. Therese of Lisieux, um, her book, Story of the Soul, which is her spiritual memoir. I've read it like five times and I'm not even Catholic, but everything she talks about is helped me understand myself better. Similarly, Samuel Johnson, when he writes about himself, I understand myself better. And that helps me to be more mindful. Beautiful. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? It just makes it much easier to be in control of your emotions, to take that deep breath and to understand maybe in advance, like I need to think about how I'm going to approach a situation or in the middle of a situation where it's important for me to maintain my self-mastery. Mindfulness allows you to have that kind of perspective which then I think makes for a much more constructive engagement. I find this particularly important with children. Yes. Or like my children, me dealing with my children. Uh, yeah. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. You know, I'm not a breathing person. I just breathe as, as, as naturally happens. I'm not a, I'm not a, a disciplined breather. 
I have to say. The more I think about the, my breath, the more I start like sort of feeling like I'm choking. Ah, uh, yeah. Better to just let it happen, maybe. <laughs> let it, yeah, let it roll. <laughs> if you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, your books are wonderful and I will list them on our show notes. Any other books that you would share with us? A book about mindfulness. Well, I just read uh, a really extraordinary book about flavor by Barb Stuckey. And this is an aspect of mindfulness that I had never really thought about, which was about flavor. I'm not a foodie person, but she talks like, like she does an exercise where you spend three minutes eating a raisin and really thinking about the texture of the raisin, the flavor of the raisin, how the, how the flavor is changing as you're chewing, as you feel it moving through your mouth, how you're smelling it through your mouth as well as through your nose. And I thought, you know, I don't spend any time being mindful of um, of what I'm eating, and I think that this is this is a place where I could get so much more value out of like everyday experience. And so I'm really excited to sort of think about because we think of oh, we love food and stuff, and I'm like, do I ever really pay that close attention? No, I mean, can I tell the difference between spearmint and peppermint? No, I'm like, I got to figure that out. So I'm going to be much more mindful about flavor. Ah, well, sounds good. Do you have an app that you recommend that can help with mindfulness? You know, I don't, I'm not app oriented. I, so I don't, I find apps typically don't, help me with mindfulness. Sure. Okay. I understand that. Well, it's really wonderful to talk with you and and to find out you're doing all these things and all your, your focus on color that you have recently yes. been doing. I'd like to hear a little bit more about your insight on color as it relates to mindfulness and as it relates to just how we feel, what our emotions are like in relation to color. Well, you know, I think one of the things that people experience, and, and this is certainly one of the reasons that got me interested in color, is I feel like I was sort of walking around in a fog. I wasn't really staying in my body. Um, I was sort of distracted all the time. And what I really, and it, and I was looking for ways to kind of bring me back to that mindfulness and that kind of uh, mindfulness-centered and also body-centeredness, which for me are very connected. And color is a way to really help me engage in the outside world. It's a very concrete thing, but I'm like, really look at the colors of the leaves on the tree. Are they really even green? Some leaves are purple. Some, you know, they may not be what you think you're seeing. Really look at the color of the sky in the morning. I walk my dog every morning and I always like, I'm like, look at the color of the sky. Don't just walk around in a daze. Really register what color is the color of the sky. And, you know, subtleties among purples or like, what is the coat of a cat look like? Beautiful textures, like water on asphalt, you know, really look at what that looks like. And so for me, color is really a way to remind myself to connect with the world. The thing about looking at colors, you can't bookmark it, you know, you can't put it on your calendar and you can't keep doing it, you know, like usually you can't stand there for half an hour and look at something like you've got to look at it, register it, like really let it flood into your mind and then move on. And for me, that's been very helpful and, and as a beautiful way of helping me to like stay very present in my own mind and in my own current experience. Right. Well, you know, that's very interesting because I think color can affect so many of us in ways that we don't even think about. And as you say, yeah. you know, just take the time to notice yeah. those colors and textures. That's so important. Like the blue behind you on the wall. It's a very beautiful kind of creamy blue. And it's like, it's just, it's nice to see that there's just this beautiful color. Like I, I could just not notice it or I can kind of be like, Oh, I, what a pleasant, pleasing blue that is. Thank you. Um, 
a little lift that I could, might otherwise just never notice to have. Yeah. Yeah. I so agree with that. Well, Gretchen, it's been so much fun talking to you. And I know that our listeners can go to GretchenRubin.com and that's yes. G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N and Rubin is R-U-B-I-N.com. And is there any place else we should connect with you or reach out to you? I'm on social media and all the usual places, always under the handle Gretchen Rubin. And I love to connect with listeners and readers and viewers and everything. So I encourage people to hit me up with your insights or observations or questions. I have the podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin. Um, But yeah, on my website, you can get discussion guides and excerpts of my books and audio clips and all sorts of posts that I've written about all my adventures and happiness and good habits and all sorts of resources. My quiz, I have my four tendencies personality profile. You can take the quiz. Two million people have taken my quiz. It's all there at GretchenRubin.com. Yeah. More than you could ever, that you ever want to read. <laughs> and that quiz is so much fun. And my son and I yeah. spent time Ooh. with that because he's fascinated with personalities. Yeah. Yeah. Go to quiz.gretchenrubin.com. It's free and it's quick and it's fun. Good. Oh, I'm glad you and your son enjoyed yeah. it. That's yeah, we, fun. we really did. It is so much fun. And it's been so much fun spending the time with you, Gretchen. I thank you. And and again, your your most recent book, Outer Order, Inner Calm. Get your hands on that book because it's truly a terrific read, Mindful Tribe. You'll love it. Go to GretchenRubin.com and just enjoy all of the offerings there. Gretchen, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to get the chance to talk to you today. Yeah, yeah. You take care. Bye now. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. So remember what I said at the top of the show, I have an ebook for you to help you bring mindfulness into the life of your child. It's called 21 Ways to Practice Mindfulness with Your Child Every Day, yours for free. Download it at mindfulnessmode.com slash 21 ways. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.